Folks, let's make a start. Um, my apologies, I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Paul, and uh, together with Chantelle, who was beside me for part of the worship, she was uh, called out sadly to go and rescue some of the Sparklers leaders. Uh, they needed extra pair of hands there. We, we, we lead this church called Carrick Vineyard, and we're just absolutely thrilled and delighted, regardless of the fact that it's raining today. Uh, we just love to come out each and every Sunday to gather together as family, as church. And what I love, each time I get the privilege to stand and I look at you wonderful faces in front of me here, and I just see such a difference, just such a, so, uh, just the diversity amongst us is wonderful. We join together with one heart, one reason, and that's to draw closer to Jesus. Uh, you join us um, on part three or chapter three of Acts. We decided for this next season that we'd look at the Acts of the Apostles. It's known as the Acts of the Apostles because it kind of uh, describes all these stories of what the Apostles got up to. The apostles, meaning the 11, plus the one that they voted in right at the beginning, uh, the disciples of Jesus who uh, pioneered what we have today, which is the early church. They pioneered that, and because of their bravery, because of their courage, and because of their obedience to Jesus, we now sit here together as a gathered church. The Acts of the Apostles as well has also been kind of noted by some as the Acts of the Holy Spirit because actually as we read through uh, the passages, so many of the amazing things were because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit which was poured out in Pentecost in chapter 1. Go back and read it if you missed it. We did that on the Friday night on our church weekend away. That time when Jesus said, you've got to wait, guys. You've got to wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit, I've told you about him. I've spoken about him. I've taught you. I'm, just, I'm going to be with the Father, but another is coming. The Holy Spirit, who is God, who will reveal the Father and the Son to you and lead you in all ways, is coming, is coming, is coming. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, and boy, did he come. Boy, did he be poured out in such awesome power and authority on that day that everything changed for those folks, um, which we looked at last week, Acts chapter 2. And then what we're going to do is dive straight in uh, this morning, Acts chapter 3, as we look at this. This was a monumental time. We're looking out at some faces here. Some of you are really with me. And some of you are just a bit like, oh man, I should have stayed in bed this morning. That's truthful, right? But what we read here is the most incredible stuff. It is unbelievable. This is the birth of the church. Jesus, who is God, entrusted mankind, that's us, with the task and the honor and the privilege and the responsibility of starting church. And Bill Hybels, who's quite a famous American dude who pastors a massive church in Chicago, he says the local church, hear this, the local church is the hope for the world. And it's true. The local church at its best is the hope for the world and for our communities. And that's absolutely right. And so what we read here, so often when we approach the scriptures, I know I do this, I'm sure you do this sometimes. You read the Bible and you go, all right, that's nice. Oh, I don't really get that. So, oh, there it is. And you close it up again. But what we read here is the most incredible, powerful stuff that really happened. And we have it as like a historic document, but also to inspire us this morning. That's a really long introduction. Chantel's not here to um, kind of do the face and the signals and all the rest. Who will I choose? Oh, she is. She's at the back. You sneaked in. Who would know? Who would know? She's still there. 
goodness, I thought I got away with it this morning. I was going to choose someone else, but you're there, dear. It's so good to have you. Um, <laughs> Acts chapter 3, are we there? Can we get there? If you haven't, get your Bible app out. Get your Bible, which you bring with you. There we go. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth uh, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. One day, one day, Luke as he writes the Acts of the Apostles, he obviously he documents the highlights. And we don't really know the time frame or the time period between Pentecost and this one day. But one day, on that day, on their way to the temple, this amazing thing takes place. They were on their way to church. They're on their way to the temple. As it was custom in those days, as Jews, they would have gone to the temple at certain times of the day to pray. And at three o'clock, it was the time to go. And they went through the gate called Beautiful to the temple to go pray. And um, uh, it was a normal day. It was just going about their own business. They were doing their own thing. They were being obedient and going to, to, to pray. And on that particular day, God had something up his sleeve. He had a preordained invitation lined up. And I wonder for us in our every day, in our every one days, tomorrow is a one day such and such took place. Or who knows what God's setting up for us this week. Conversations that we're going to have. Opportunities that we're going to have. Wherever we go, whoever we speak to, whoever we see, one day, one day. I would love to be in your workplaces. I'd love to be there with you in some of those things. Those opportunities that arise just out of conversation. Uh, speaking to one or two of you just even this week. Just hearing the stories of how God's using you in those places. One particular story which, which astounds me really. Um, uh, one of you shared with me. They were in their workplace and it's like all hell broke loose. This massive argument just amongst a number of staff just erupted. Out of nowhere it seemed. And this one person remain calm in that situation was the calming influence in that didn't step in and start speaking in the name of Jesus and rebuking demons and all the rest in that moment but was calm was calm was the presence of Jesus simply in that place many opportunities one day Peter and John they go to the temple they go to the place and they encounter this man who is placed there every day to beg he is placed at the gates of the temple. It's a strategic, sneaky place because he's probably going to get more money being there. Isn't that right? Let's be honest, you know. People are going in to pray and what have you. They're more likely to be generous to cough up and give some cash to the man who's placed there. 
We know from chapter 4 that the man is in his 40s and he has been like this since birth. It is his existence. It is his life. It is the way that he has been defined as a human being. It's what he does. He asks them for money. And we've been there. I'm sure all of us have been there or most of us have been there. We've been around our daily existence. We're shopping in Belfast or we're somewhere. We're coming out of the De Corsi Center in Caracal, where it might be. And you see the person on the street with a plastic cup sitting on the ground with a manky old dog that looks better fed than they are and they're asking you for money. You see the big issue seller and you're, you respond. You respond in a number of different ways, right? From actually giving them some money to saying, how you doing? God bless you. Engaging, smiling. Actually taking them from McDonald's, which I've done before, and one or two other things when I was really, really brave. And went to individuals and thought, do you know what, I'm not just going to give them some money. I've got a bit of time on my hands. Why don't I actually go feed them? Through to what most of the time I do and what I'm sure most of us do. And that's turn our faces and look the other way and pretend that we didn't see. And we're in this situation. And Peter and John, they're in this situation where they see this man. And they see beyond his actual monetary needs. They see far deeper than that. Peter looked straight at him. John looked straight at him. And they invite him to look at them. You see, there's something important about the looking. There's something important about not looking away and pretending that we didn't see it, but actually looking into the eyes of the individual's needs. It gave the person some expectation that he was going to get something, but more than that, it gives the person a sense of dignity and respect. They feel noticed. The man begging feels noticed. And there's something in that for all of us in terms of the way that we live our lives, that we look and that we see and that we acknowledge and that we smile and we go about our day through that simply. Peter invites the man to look at him but says these things, I don't have any money, silver and gold, I haven't got any of that. But what I do have, I give you. And he heals him in the name of Jesus. It's God who heals him through his faith in Jesus. The guy's 40. And uh, here's the thing. Jesus would have seen this very same man. If he was there every day at the gate, Jesus would have known this man. And yet had chose not to heal him in that time. When we read that and we understand that and we think about that, we think, well, goodness, what was all that about? And truth be told, I don't know. We don't know. But here's some thoughts. It could well be that it wasn't the right time. Isn't there something about God's timing for certain things? We could look at it from that situation. We could look at it that maybe Jesus thought, well, that's one for the disciples. I'll leave him for the disciples because one day it's going to stretch their faith. And they're going to get to play. I've entitled this talk, Doing the Stuff. I should have said that early in the introduction in my waffle. This is about doing the stuff. And God invites us to do the stuff, to do the Jesus stuff. You'll have heard me share this story before. 
John Wimber, our sort of founding father of the Vineyard Church, he read the scriptures. He was attending a church and he was so, so, it was in that moment of just getting to know Jesus for the first time and loving it and being so enthralled by the scriptures and what he read. And he went to the church leaders of the church that he attended and he said, when do we get to do the stuff? And that's where the phrase kind of came from. And they were like, what stuff? What do you mean? What are you talking about? He's saying the Jesus stuff. When do we get to do the Jesus stuff? And they, they kind of explained it in a way. They said, oh, no, you don't realize. That was just then. It's very different now. And I want to say to you this morning, what happened then is for now. It is for now, folks. And he invites us to journey this stuff with him. Scary that it is. Exciting that it is wondrous and awesome that it is. He invites us into the journey to say, come on, you get to do the Jesus stuff. Peter and John were fishermen and he entrusted the church to those folks. He entrusted the church to us. We get to do this. We get to do this, folks. You get to do this. This is not for the person up the front. This is for all of us that we get to play, that we get to do the stuff. And I'm well off the script. First uh, recorded miracle done by in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And I think the most incredible thing is this, that the man was looking for something, but he got something completely different. He was looking for cash, but instead he got healed. And the, the disciples didn't have what they wanted. But what do you have? What do you have that you can give? Uh, a number of us last week, we were in Coleraine. Uh, we visited our friends at Causeway Coast Vineyard to hear uh, our old pastor, Mike Pilavachi from Soul Survivor in England. He was speaking, and he spoke just absolutely brilliantly. If it's on the web, listen to it. It's just absolutely fantastic. And a couple of things. He was speaking uh, that passage from 2 Kings 4 with Elisha, where we read about this story about this woman who loses her husband and needs to uh, raise some cash, basically. And uh, if she doesn't, there's uh, big problems ahead for her. And Elisha basically invites her. You probably know the story, many of you. What do you have? I have a little olive oil. And uh, Elisha says, go to all your neighbors, get loads of empty jars, and then fill the jars with a little olive oil. And it's this incredible miracle of multiplication, where from that little olive oil, it fills loads and loads of jars of oil. She sells that. She raises the cash. And it's all amazing. What does she have? A little bit of olive oil. He shared the story about the feeding of the 5,000, where he invites the disciples, what what are you going to give them? We've got all these people, Jesus. How are we going to feed them? Oh, my goodness. Jesus, instead of, you know, says, oh, send them to McDonald's or whatever it might be, says, well, what are you going to do about it? And I think sometimes there's something in that for all of us. It's like, okay, what are we going to do about it? Because he invites us into the story. And um, they, they have this whole conversation. And you know the story. It's so well known. The loaves, the fishes, and they feed the 5,000. From a little boy's packed lunch, they feed this. What do you have? Shares the story of Moses. Moses who has this argument with, with God about going back to Pharaoh. And God says to him, what's that in your hand? Oh, that's my staff. 
It's my wooden stick. I've, I've had it for years. It's just, it's just another arm. It's, a, it's like our mobile phones. It's always with us. That's just a stick. With that stick, it strikes the rock and water comes out. With that stick, he does the wonders. With that stick, puts it in the sea and the Red Sea parts. With that stick, what's in your hand? What do you have? Little or large, whatever it is, what is it that you have that God's asking you to give, to present before him that God can take and God can use for a miracle. We're back on the script. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What a miracle. Guys, again, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. We read these scriptures and we're like, oh yeah, that was nice. He got up and walked and danced and went into the temple. This is amazing. This is amazing stuff. Can you imagine? Wouldn't we love to see it? How does he respond? How does the man respond? He responds in worship. In worship. He enters into the temple courts at the beautiful gate. And he begins to dance and walk and sing. It's worship. It's an overflow of the heart. This is incredible. The glory goes to God. The people were filled with wonder and amazement. Boy, I bet they were. Back to the script. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, See, God's interrupted their plans. They'd gone to pray. Peter and John had gone to the temple to pray. But God had another idea and interrupted their plans. And suddenly, all these people are drawn. He's drawn a crowd, much like what happened in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came and this crowd from all over that region had come together. And Peter now has got something else. He's got a different agenda. And again, let us not live our lives in such a way that they're so clinical that we do what we set out and plan to do. Let's be open to God interrupting our plans. Sometimes we find ourselves, we've got our five-year plan, our ten-year plan, and this is where I'm going. It's like, and God just suddenly breaks in and interrupts our plans. We have to be open to that. But here's another thing, we need to be obedient to that. Because it's so easy when God breaks in for us to dismiss it and say, thanks God, but no thanks because I'm doing this. We need to be open to what he's saying and obedient to what he asks of us. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. 
you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know is made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Fellow Israelites, Peter's got this crowd in front of him and he addresses them as they are. Fellow Israelites, I am one of you. I am one of you. Peter's associating himself with the people. He says, why are you surprised? Peter and John clearly weren't. Peter and John clearly were with great faith that God would do that amazing miracle. But they're amazed and they're astonished. And what Peter and John do is they instantly take off themselves the recognition that was being given to them. They're amazed by what they've seen. And very easily and very quickly, they could attribute that to Peter and John. Oh man, you guys are amazing. And with us and with them, they quickly deflected the attention and said, it's not by our power. It's not by our godliness. We didn't do this. I heard that wonderful phrase uh, spoken the other day by uh, John Mumford, who is and is about to retire as our archbishops. They're our senior leaders in the vineyard in UK and Ireland. Uh, at the National Leaders Conference, the standing ovation, hundreds of people clapping them, honoring them for what John and Ellie have done for so many years. And it was just such, a, it was such an appropriate response, congratulating them and giving them a job well done. And he said these words. He said, uh, I, um, I take the encouragement but pass on the glory. I just love that. It's just like, yes, we need to celebrate. Yes, we need to celebrate when great things are happening, when God's using us in great ways. We take the encouragement, but we pass on the glory. It's always about him. It's always about him. It's always to him, and it's always for him. And Peter and John quickly deflect that. He introduces the one who has healed him. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The founding fathers of the Israelites. Our God has glorified Jesus. And then he gets personal with them. Exactly the same way. Almost word for word as he did in Acts chapter 2 that we did last week. He points to them and he doesn't let them off the hook. He says, you handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate. Though Pilate the Roman dude who was really in charge, actually let him off the hook. He actually said, no, he can go. I don't find anything wrong with him. But you disowned the holy and the righteous one and asked that a murderer, who was Barabbas, that he be released instead. You, this is awful. Listen to this. Imagine being there, right? Imagine being the Israelites and listen to this. You killed the author of life. Imagine that. Oh, my goodness. We did it. We did that. My goodness. But God raised them from the dead. We are witnesses. Peter and John were witnesses. They saw it with their very eyes. By faith in the name of Jesus, you see this man, he is walking because of faith in the name of Jesus. This is who did it. He was the one that you killed, but he was the one who raised this person. In the name of Jesus. Now, folks, here's the thing. I've not seen the lame walk. 
in my lifetime yet. I have seen God do miracles in me and in other people. I've prayed for people who were sick or had some sort of ailment and see God heal them. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, years ago, as I'd hear people share stories, I would be the one, as I'm sure as you hear me say those words, I would be that one that's just a wee bit skeptical. Oh, yeah, right. Just, just it was time or it was medicine or whatever. But over time, the more, the more I press in to this stuff, the more I'm willing to have a go, the more I'm willing to look a fool and offer to pray for someone, the more I see God do miracles. Does he heal every time? No, he doesn't. Does he heal some of the time? Yes, he does. Chances of healing go up the more I'm obedient. And it's the same with us, folks. I know there's some of you listen to that going, yes, that's it. I, that's my, I want to, there's some of you are like, there is no way on this earth I'm ever going to invite even my wife, whom I love dearly, if I can pray for her. But maybe someday you will. Maybe someday you'll have the courage to just go for it. In the name of Jesus, and just go for it. We want to see this, folks. This has to be part of our story. This has to be part of our DNA. And you know, here's the thing. This miracle didn't take place in church. It took place outside the four walls of church. And whilst we can pray for healing in and amongst ourselves, this is the safe place of doing it. This is amongst people who know Jesus and like Jesus. But I tell you, there's a grace for those that don't know Jesus. And I tell you, just from experience, the more that we invite people to pray for them who don't yet know Jesus, you would be surprised at their reaction. The Healing on the Streets uh, ministry that our friends and Coleraine started, I'm guessing six, seven years ago, which still happens every Saturday, faithful men and women put chairs out. You might have seen it. They put chairs out in the center, the very center outside that big building, which I don't actually know what it is, town hall maybe once upon a time or something like that. They put chairs out and this massive banner that says healing on it. And they invite strangers to sit on a chair and have a stranger lay hands on them and pray for them. I'm amazed that anyone sits there. But people do. People in their own town risking their own sense of dignity, risking their own face or their own whatever. They're so desperate to want to meet Jesus and to receive healing that the doctors can't quite do. They're willing to do it. And God has done some amazing miracles um, there. Not only there, but in towns all over the UK and the rest of the world. I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. We're back on the script. I've gone on a little bit here. Hey, we're nearly there. We're, near, we're circling. We're not land, coming in. We're circling. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who had been appointed for you, even Jesus. 
He addresses them again as fellow Israelites. He acknowledges that you were ignorant. You didn't realize what you were doing when you crucified the author of life. And your leaders didn't either. You didn't realize it. But he did foretell us, though, saying that the Messiah would suffer as the scriptures teach us. He encourages them, repent, turn to God, turn to him now. This is your time. This is your moment he's teaching them. And boy, we've, we've preached that same message over the years. Maybe for some of us this morning as we're teaching this, this is your moment. It's like turn. Repent doesn't mean just to say sorry. Repent means to turn, to walk towards a different direction, to change our lives in such a way as we say, God, I am so sorry for trying to live my life. I turn to you and I turn Godward into your direction. Would you take me? Would you lead me? I surrender my life to you. Last bit. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. As he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs to the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him bless first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Peter uses Old Testament scriptures to address the Israelites' heritage. He quotes Moses, he quotes Samuel, he quotes Abraham in all of them. They're heirs to the prophets. These guys that have gone before us, this is part of our journey. This is part of our story. He's inviting them who are Israelites, those who are Jews, the chosen people. He's inviting them into this journey. The Messiah is Jesus. The chosen one who was to come is Jesus. Repent now, turn now, for they were the chosen ones. We too are included. We too are included. And it's years later, really, uh, not that many years later, that obviously we, we read later on in Acts and the rest of the letters when especially Paul, who comes later on in the scene, um, pioneers this same message to the Gentiles. But for now, in Jerusalem, the birth of the early church is first for those who are Jews in that place. But we're also included. We're also part of the story. And God invites us to be part of this wonderful thing called church. Gathered together worshipping together, sharing one another, loving one another, caring for one another, building each other up in love and sending us out. Sending us out to be church, to be Christ-like, to bring the kingdom. Wherever we go, he goes if the Holy Spirit lives in us. That we would go and we would transform um, the culture and the, the surrounding places where we're at. This is the kingdom that we read about. But the kingdom is here and now. It's for us. And he invites us again into the journey. And that, to me, is incredibly exciting. And uh, I'm done. EZY376 has landed. What's EZY? Anyone know? Easy, Jack. Well done. Are we good? Come on up.
And um, we've got a bit of time. We're, we're going to worship, and then we're just going to wait. We're going to pray. We're going to see what God wants to do. So uh, as these guys get ready, why don't we get ready? Let's stand. You can stretch a wee bit. Coffee's coming, but not just yet.